Welcome to What Do You Think? I'm Al. And I'm C. And we are joined today by our very, very good friend, former uh, former tight end, Jay. Or former center, Jake. It could be either or. Yeah, I got beef real quick. Yeah. Uh, so apparently on a previous recent episode, you guys had a friend uh, named M. Uh-huh. Here who was go. over here stealing my bits. Does M still stand for Mencia? Because he's out oh, here stealing my jokes. Oh, oh my gosh. I was not oh. expecting this. Oh, oh, well. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm out here trying to be original and everything. And he's, he's, we're, we got other people stealing my bits. I'm just, oh, Jay, you know. We all, Jay, we all know you're always trying to be original. We always know that. Uh-huh. We're well aware. Jay is right? the original. Jay, Jay was our the... first guest, I think, wasn't he? Yes. yes I was. Jay was. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, also so. your second, and I think third, too. <laughs> it was a, it was a minute. It was like it was a minute before we convinced someone else to do it. But <laughs> all all the people who listened to this thought I was your only friend. Yeah, that that was kind of the thing we didn't want to do. We were like, we me and C were like, yeah, we got to get other guests because if they they're just gonna think like, oh, they have no friends. It's literally like this one guy who does it out of pity because he sounds like he does it out of pity. <laughs> That's about right. <laughs> oh my god! Well, you don't okay. have to. You don't have to confirm that. <laughs> you no, you could have been polite and just 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 keep keep it quiet. Uh, but no. Yeah. So this is a very special episode. In fact, I think, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, every like bottom five, top ten episodes we've ever done has been with Jay. If I'm not well, mistaken. Well, we've only done one other. So oh, yeah, we? we're two for two here. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, we're, we're two, two for two. two. So count, it counts. It counts, guys. It counts. Okay. It counts. It counts. It counts. So, uh, yeah, this this is our 2023 wrap-up. Uh, Woo! We did it. We made it, folks. I yeah. bet you guys didn't think we'd last as a podcast, but here we are. Episode almost, n- almost hitting the 100 episode about mark. About to hit 100. That's crazy. I yeah, know. you guys got those ad reads yet? <laughs> you know what, Jay? We're, we're here hey, trying I to... Hey, I believe in you. I believe in you. I don't uh, think you do. I don't think you do. Jay believes in us like he believes in Jesus Christ. wow that was personal (laughs) that was personal it was personal for al too for the record the only one it was oh it was very personal the only one's not personal for is me oh that now that people are going to insinuate some things about you see but anyway they let fucking let them 2023 has been an interesting year i must say interesting is an okay can i no uh, interesting is not the right word yeah it was a tumultuous year yeah, for cinema. We, let's be clear, for cinema. There, there's there been other things that happened in 2023 that we don't need to get into. Yeah. But just like for just watching movies for, for, for cinema fans, for movie fans, it was like for a good minute, for a good minute, everyone was thinking, oh, my God, this year kind of sucks. Well, there, and, there, were, there were a lot of extreme highs and then a ton of lows. I think that's yeah. part of it. But I, um, I think we can all agree. And uh, uh, Jay, I'm going to let you have the floor on this. I think we can all agree that the unexpected high that really came out of nowhere and kind of defines 2023 for the in in a good way was the Barbenheimer phenomena. Uh, Jay, if you could just talk a little bit about that phenomena, because you were kind of the one who introduced it to both of us when because neither of us are on certain social media sites and you were like, guys, this is blowing up. You you need to look at this. So, uh, yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to preface to the listener. Uh. Over Christmas, which was about a month ago. I just like I how had... he said, I'm so sorry. I like how he said, listener, not plural, <laughs> listener, singular. Damn. Hey, you, you know what? You know what? Okay. I'll okay. have you know my mom okay. stopped listening a while ago. <laughs> okay, see? All right, look. I just want to say, 
I had COVID over a month ago. I'm still kind of dealing with a cough. So I have a green tea. I have a pile of cough drops. Got a candy going. I just, if I cough at all and it comes through, I'm so sorry. But back to Barbie Hyper. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys are aware of this, but I recently started dating someone this year. And oh, good for you. We yeah, no right? Idea. And, I have no idea. And it was still nice and new when Barbie Hyper came out, but it also kind of perfectly matched our personalities as well. <laughs> um, and, and see, you know her very well, so you can probably uh, attest to that. Um, Correct. It, I love how much of a thing that was and how the, the, the true people who were into it were supportive of both movies and were like, hell yeah, we're doing double features. Like, like, hell yeah, the the two best movies of the year are coming out on the same day. Like, like, it was just really fun to have excitement over what was coming out into a theater uh, again. You know, I mean, 2022 was the year we came back to theaters, but this year was the year we were excited about a theater, a theatric, a cinematic event, if you will. So, I mean, it was definitely really fun to be involved in. Um, and a lot of great memes came out. Um, and... And it really just like shaped the zeitgeist for the year. No, I, I totally agree with that. I I was I was very like I, I'm usually pretty in the know on online stuff, and when that popped up, I was like, "What is going on?" Because I think like I think it started like as a Gen Z thing, maybe, um, and that kind of grew from there. Uh, but no, Barbenheimer definitely was like like the. The, the thing that like Hollywood was like not expecting and unfortunately now they're like, how do we artificially recreate this without the sincerity and genuinity? How, how do we no, do that? That's going to that's gonna be so cringe. I, yeah, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm too old to say that word, no. but that's going to be really cringe. But speaking of cringe, let's talk about one of the lows of 2023. The, I, and I'm just reading off like what people say, like, or what people are saying on variety and Hollywood reporter, but the implosion of the MCU, um, you know, the... Well, not just the implosion of the MCU, the implosion of a lot of established um, IP. IP. That's really what yeah. this was. So, see, if you can kind of take the floor on that and just talk about, like, like how people were no longer into the MCU, how nothing, yeah. the last few movies from so, the DCEU were cratered, and, you know, just, just all that stuff in general. I mean, let me just say what really summed it, the moment it hit home for me uh, is for when I understood that established IP was really dead in the water for the most part was when Indiana Jones bombed or borderline bombed um, and did horribly in box office, was panned, hated, despised. Al, I remember after we went and saw that movie, we both went to a Waffle House and depressingly ate our breakfast at midnight like we were like we didn't know how to like handle it so we decided we had to eat at waffle house to like talk it out i I, i'll never forget that because the moment you completely ruin that and this is more of an older generation thing more millennials let's gen z's listen to indiana jones not that they don't like it but they're less into it but you you really just saw that that for me just summed up okay that Hollywood really did lose its grasp in this year. Like, not entirely, but 90 fucking percent just really completely lost the concept of what they were supposed to do. 
Um, and, you know, you see these new rebranding efforts, but everyone can tell that a lot of these efforts are kind of still behind and that they're not right. But while it is kind of shocking to witness that, and it did get scary at times for the future of Hollywood, I'm really excited for the new growth that the dying uh, MCU and dying old franchises are going to bring. But unfortunately, you need time for all good things to grow. So that just left this year being a, la- a rather lackluster year because no one was ready for, mm. for what happened. Cool. Um, but yeah, that's honestly my thoughts on that. All right, folks. So that's pretty <clears throat> much a very, very broad overview of the 2023. So let's get into it. Uh, I'm in a bad mood, so we're going to do the worst of the worst uh, for us, at least for us, uh, this little trio. So um, I don't have any dishonorable mentions. See, do you have any dishonorable mentions? I don't have any dishonorable mentions, but I will say my bottom five, all the titles start with the word the. So that's kind of fun. But no (laughs) dishonorable mentions. Uh, Jay, you said you had some dishonorable mentions. So the floor is yours. I have four dishonorable mentions. The first one I'm going to talk about uh, actually follows along with what uh, C was talking about. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I tried to watch this movie three times. I fell asleep every single time. This movie was boring, unimaginative, and now the person playing the bad guy is out of the universe entirely. We don't have to get into that. Um, Terrible movie. Another one is 65. I watched this solely to see if it would make my bottom five, and I just ended up fast-forwarding through the whole thing to see the end, and I, I honestly couldn't tell you why they had to make it Earth. They could have just been a planet they crashed on with dinosaurs. Terrible plot, terrible acting by really good actors. Um, uh, what pissed me off was like I, I fast forwarded to the end, and it turns out the rifle Adam Driver has the whole time can one shot a T Rex, and so he finally figures out he can do that. So you know, there's that. <laughs> Another one I'm going to mention is a dishonorable mention is Napoleon. Uh, this movie just fell a lot shorter than Napoleon was tall. Um, it it just I'm over Joaquin Phoenix. I'm I'm tired of first runs of Ridley Scott movies. I just kept watching this and thinking, what's the point? And then the last one that I just really didn't like um, that I was kind of excited for because I really like Michael Fassbender and these kind of movies was The Killer. This was just a guy going around trying to find out, find the people who screwed him over or try to kill him while he has an internal monologue the whole time. And it's just boring as all hell, period. I just, ugh. And you guys know, you guys know I hate uh, narration. And this is why. <laughs> so those are my dishonorable missions for the year. Uh, everything else I'm going to talk about, uh, I hated more. So, yeah. All right, cool. So what's uh, your number five? Number five. No, no, it's fine. I, I was just going to say that like those first 20 minutes of the killer, anyone who goes like, I hate narration and they use that as an example. I, even I would be like, no, I get it. But anyway, all right. Mm. So let's, let's start with but, our, but it kept uh, going. And then it just <laughs> yeah. doesn't end. It's, uh. yeah. all, all right. right. So go ahead with your number five. My number five. Along with Ferrari is probably my most disappointing movie of this past year um it's a director that i know for a fact has a really good sense of humor it's 
a good group of actors that I would trust with even a decent script. And it's a premise that's just fucking wild. If you're going to tell me that there's a movie based on a true story that a bear found a whole bunch of cocaine (laughs) and ate it, I'm up for that. But what we got was boring, unimaginative, unoriginal, flat, bland, just god-awful. You could pretty much predict the whole movie. They tried to get funny and cute with the bear. It didn't really work for me. They tried to get aggressive and brutally violent with the bear. It also just seemed gratuitous for me. It it might have been my state of mind when this movie came out, which we'll talk about later. It might have been all the hype surrounding this movie, and I it just never lived up to the hype that I expected it to be. But this was just so boring to me, and I just sat there wanting it to end. So my number five worst movie of the year is Cocaine Bear. Mm. Um, I don't really have a lot of questions because I know you didn't like it, but in your opinion, was this movie salvageable or not at all? Uh, it just needs better dialogue. It needs to not have a twist that you see coming from a mile away and it needs better direction. Like there's, there's a lot you could do with this. I just, it, it just seems like a cookie cutter. Oh, this is what I think direction should be. This is what I think how I'm making a movie should be basic coverage kind of movie. Um, it, yeah, it's just, I think someone with more experience than Elizabeth Banks, um, with a better script could do something here. Um, but we got what we got. I'm going to put you on the spot, Jay. Now with three movies under her belt, do you think Elizabeth Banks is a bust as a director? I do. And that is because I love her. I love her as an actor. I love her. I love her comedy. She's so great at, at comedic timing and sarcastic wit. Um, I, I love her, but as a director, she just hasn't impressed me. So, so wait, I know, see, to answer I, your I know question, two of her movies, but what's the other one? Uh, she did one of the Pitch Perfect sequels. I don't know if it was uh, two or three. Oh, okay, gotcha, okay. But, like, uh, at the same time, like, that's probably the only one that I would say is good. But those movies kind of run on themselves after a certain point. Mm-hmm. All right, well, see, so you're, you're up. Okay. My number five, I, I don't have any dishonorable mentions, as I already said. My number five for the worst movie of the year... Uh, the Exorcist Believer. Uh, this is an example of killing a franchise, but on a slightly smaller scale in certain ways. Um, this is a scary movie that isn't scary. That was my main problem with it. The scariest part of this movie was one of the fake-out jump scares that they did, and that was really lame of them. And I was, this is also one, this is the biggest example of a movie that I was excited for that severely disappointed me. I had quite a few of those this year, but none of them for me were bad enough to put them in my bottom five. This one was though, because the trailer was really interesting. I was, I, I, I thought I could maybe hope that the director, uh, Adam McKay, right? No, no, um, no, um 
No, uh, David God. Gordon Green. David Gordon Green. Jesus, David Gordon Green was maybe gonna you know redeem himself again after some misses, and he didn't. And not only is it not scary at all, but it's borderline. The characters take really crazy mental and mo- and emotional leaps in the weirdest moments, which didn't help. Um, so yeah, but basically it's a scary movie that isn't scary and that's why it's number five. I have a question. Yeah. Did making it two girls be possessed help it or hurt it? It was almost a non-factor because they did nothing with that con. They did very little with that concept. Like they That's disappointing. Could, it's like because in the trailer you're like, oh, there's going to be something interesting, but like, like because there's okay in the trailer there's a moment where you like you hear their hearts beating in sync and I'm like, oh shit, that's pretty freaky. Like you could mess with, you could really have fun with that and like see what else you could do. But like all the twin, the creepy twin moments they play out, or all the, you know, two people possessed moments that they do. All you see is in the trailer. There's nothing new. There's nothing additional. They're just, they happen to be both losing their fucking minds um, and sort of at the same time. Um, I think what also made me bad about this movie was that the first like 10 minutes get you kind of going, like you buy that this is going to be a good reboot. And then just the moment the inciting incident happens, it's not scary. And then it gets really boring. And then it's just silly at the end. So, so you saw Halloween ends. Mm-hmm. What made you think that the guy who did Halloween Ends was going to make a good Exorcist movie? Because this is the guy that did Halloween, and this is the guy that did Joe, I think it's called. Yeah, Joe. And this is, the, this is the guy that did an older film called George Washington. Like this, the, He has proven himself to be a talented director. It is just unclear to me when he is able to turn that on and when he's not able to. Because you can't even track his, like, a record of... Like, oh, his earlier stuff, his middle stuff, or his later stuff. It's not that it's random, but it's kind of all over the place when he makes something really good. Okay. And then, yeah. I'm going to comp- – okay, so I'm not going to make the obvious comparison with Halloween Ends. I'm going to mm. make the comparison with Your Highness. Better or worse than Your Highness? Mm. Worse because – but it's a personal reason. For me, a bad scary movie is worse than a bad comedy. That's a worse experience for me. Okay. Okay, so, cool. so that's a personal reason. <clears throat> All right, cool. So I'm up. My fifth worst movie of 2023 is – this is actually kind of weird that my list is up until like the last two, I, I, I'm like apathetic towards. But there is something that made me a little not like this, and that's The Equalizer 3. How do you so if you guys have seen The Equalizer, you know that it came out the same year as as uh, as John Wick, except in this time it was Denzel Washington kills bad guys, right? Because he wants to help people, not because his, they killed his dog. Uh, and the first two movies fit that fit those parameters pretty well. It's like yeah, he kills bad guys to help people. Like that's pretty simple concept. And for some ungodly reason. They decided, like, okay, we're going to put him in Italy. We're going to put him in a seaside town in Italy. We're not going to have him kill anyone for the of uh, uh, the first three, quarter, or three quarters of the movie. Uh, he's just going to be enjoying life in seaside Italy. 
And uh, when he does kill people, because Denzel Washington is almost 70, we're just going to put him in the shadow, have one interesting uh, kill, kill scene, and then just kind of end it with the most obvious twist that you could see coming from a mile away. Uh, Denzel Washington is like is one of the greatest actors of his generation, but it's pretty obvious that uh, he was just doing it for the paycheck. But then what was also really obvious was that he, you could tell that if you know Denzel Washington's background, you know that he's a very religious man that he decided to put like stuff about like redemption and like reformation, those kind of themes in, in the equalizer movie. And you're like, that's fine and all, but don't forget why people are watching this for the kills folks. There's literally like three sequences of kills. That's it. Just three in the beginning. And then one at the beginning of the third act and one at the middle of the third act and boom, that's it. And I was like, what the fuck? This like, did they not see the previous two movies? What the hell? So yeah, no, very, very disappointing. I, obviously I'm not like hating this movie, but this is definitely something where I was like, this is that one movie that no Denzel fan should ever have to see if they, if they can help it. Did they at least give him, did they at least give him a good monologue or a bit of dialogue where he got to use his preacher voice? No, no. They gave oh. him a mo- they gave him a monologue, but it, he didn't do that with it. That's what was weird. The the other weird thing is that they they give him like a not romance, like it like you think it should have been a romance, but it's not a romance. <laughs> yes. Like with a significant. Oh, like, they're just friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because remember, he has a dead wife, so he has to. It's that weird thing they do where it's like he has a dead wife, and there's a woman who obviously wants to fuck him, but he's like, no, nah, I love my wife too much. Like it's like it's an ego trip, you know, mm. but. Yeah, so he doesn't get to do his cool Denzel Washington monologue. It, it was really disappointing. Yeah. See, so you got anything? Um, how did this test the limit for how much Denzel can save a movie? This tested it to the point that I think he couldn't save the movie. Mm-hmm. I think what it was was that because uh, he Fuqua, usually can, in my opinion, or at least no. make it watchable. Oh, he can oh make you're a totally movie. right. Like, remember, he's the only reason you're going to watch the final, like, Tony Scott movies that the guy directed. Like, what was the train movie he did with Unstoppable? Chris, yeah. Unstoppable. Denzel Washington saves that movie. Uh, the, the crazy thing is, is that it definitely feels like Antoine Fuqua just wanted to do this so that he could have some clout to do his Michael Jackson movie. Um, and I don't know why Denzel Washington wanted to do this. Uh, like, I guess he wanted to make like a, a story about salvation, but was like, well, I want to make it an equalizer. It, like it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know, but definitely, definitely he couldn't save this movie. Definitely could not save this movie. So, uh, all right, going on back to you, Jay. Number four. Number four. So out, excuse me. <clears throat> Let me get rid of this cough drop. Out. You haven't been over recently. Do you haven't seen the new posters I have in my room? I have the original trilogy Star Wars posters, plus a Star Wars concept poster that C got me for Christmas. Mm, it's nice. beautiful. I think I sent you a picture. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Uh, you know, I love Star Wars. It's kind of apparent. So when people are out there telling me that someone made their version of Star Wars. <laughs> I have to watch it. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. 
Go I... on, Jay. Go on, Jay. Uh, okay, look. You guys know how I feel about Tim Burton. And you've heard my rants on J.J. Abrams. But now there's a third contender for who I think is the worst director actively working. And that's fucking Zack Snyder. Rebel Moon is such a huge, whopping, steaming pile of shit. It is... There's no plot. There's no plot whatsoever. We're just going from planet to planet to meet these people to ask them to join a rebellion they haven't even started. And by the way, every time we meet someone new, we can't they can't really leave yet because they are still in the middle of another story. <laughs> the first guy who doesn't wear a shirt throughout the whole film, even though he's planet hopping in space, uh, he can't leave because uh, he's a slave and the only way to pay off his debt is to ride a literal hippogriff from Harry Potter. <laughs> That's how he gets freed. I'm like, okay, I can join you on your adventure now. The second one is some sort of like dark magic samurai lady, but she can't leave because she has to kill the giant spider lady who's been terrorizing the planet. By the way, the giant spider lady is pissed off because the technology and industry on this planet has made her sterile so she can't have kids. So, But she's still the bad guy here. Mm. And they have a big old fight, sword fight, and everyone else just stands there and watches. <laughs> then we had to go find the general, who's just a drunken gladiator, pick him up, pick up uh, people from this other belt. It's just, it's just constantly just going from planet to planet to find someone to join the cast. And then, what do you know, the, the bounty hunter slash smuggler you were traveling with the whole time betrays you, and then there's a huge fight scene at the end. The bad guy dies, but also isn't dead, but then dies again in a virtual world where he talks to the king or something. It's just... Oh, okay. This movie is as if someone took Zack Snyder's Pinterest and said, I want that, I want that in my movie, I want that in my movie, I want that in my movie. It's just constant shout-outs to sci-fi movies that Zack Snyder has seen. Mm. That's, like, that's all it is. That's all it is with the addition of his infamous... Uh, slow-mo shots, which happen in, in completely inappropriate times and don't make any sense. Like, it's just someone running through gunfire and, oh, we're going to slow it down and then we're going to pick it back up and then they're going to hide for cover and then we're going to slow it down. It's just, it's just confusing and frustrating. <sighs> I, I, I don't want to see part two. I don't want to see if part two can redeem it. This this is just two and a half hours of setting up part two with 100% CGI sets, way too much slow-mo, and absolutely zero plot. Uh, yeah, it's just it's Zack Snyder's Pinterest board and fuck Zack Snyder. <laughs> I have no questions on that because I didn't even bother to watch Rebel Moon. Jay... So, would you watch the director's cut that's coming out in the summer? Nope. <laughs> I didn't even know nope. that was a thing. No, like, nope. Netflix was literally like, yeah, nope. we're not nope. releasing the, the, the director's cut. We're releasing, like, something that would be qualify as PG-13. So Wow. That's why no, I haven't it, watched it, it. I'm like, it, if I'm going to watch a Zack Snyder movie, I'm going to watch his director's cut. It'll probably still be shit. Like, if, not... they keep, if they keep most of what's in this movie, it's still going to be boring as hell. 
Okay. Okay. It's just. It's just. <sighs> All right. See, I guess that's your cue. Yeah. Right. Sorry. Go ahead. See. Number four. Another the. Now, we talked about dying franchises. Well, here's a franchise that actually died, and technically the nail was already put in the coffin, so this is a post-mortem fuck-up. I call it The Flash, or fucking hell. Jesus. Um, (laughs) This movie really just... So, can we agree we hate Ezra Miller now? Is that, like, finally agreed upon? We don't like him. We don't like him, right? We finally agree. Turns out he's as weird as the kid he played, and we need to talk about Kevin. Like, turns out he wasn't playing a role in that. Like, that was really him or something. That's a little far, but still. He, this movie is, okay, I can, we, you can read our review of why, why this was not a good movie, and I think I was somewhat more favorable in the review. You were, you were. But, but time has not aged this fucking thing well, um, and I realized what, what sums up why I'm so pissed off about this movie. You see what are clearly garbage unfinished effects, like clearly, like no question. Like, they're creepy and weird, and they you can tell when they're phasing it out of a real person and they're using effects. It's just fucking rough. And the director, though, goes so far as to say, um, actually, that was intentional, and here's why. Because in the Speed Force, it's going to look like this. And I'm like, fuck you. Like, it's one thing to, like, make something so clearly unfinished. But it's another thing... Like if you made if you finished something and it ended up being bad and you defend it, that's one thing. I'm just not gonna agree with you. But like, don't say you um actually it's finished. No, that is such a that is such BS. Like he could have at that point said, yeah, I'm sorry. In the DVD cut, it'll be finished or anything, fucking anything. But and the weird cameos didn't save it. It's actually some of them are a little creepy when you look at it now that some of the actors are dead and they didn't get certain actors permission on the estates. So that was also very weird. Um, like, but the, the living cameos didn't help this as well because they just didn't use them well. The only reason this isn't higher on the list is because the actress that played Supergirl was good. And I hope that, because they've talked about how they're going to pull certain things into the new DC. She's not going to be Supergirl. I, she, I, Supergirl's not, already heard, been recast. I already heard, yeah. So yeah. I was hoping like they'd consider keeping her because she was good. She actually like portrayed a superhero in a cool way. Like She did a good job. But she was only enough to make this not higher on the list, but not a good movie. So, yeah. It, yeah. it just hasn't. It, it's aged worse in a very short amount of time. Any I'll take your I'll take your questions now. Uh which was your favorite cameo? <laughs> you know what? Nicolas Cage. There. <laughs> I, said, I said it. That's my favorite fucking cameo in that. Do you feel that this movie could have worked better if it really just focused on like just Barry and kind of the reason why he wants to be a superhero, like the, the the thing with his parents. You feel like if the movie just focused on that and wasn't so worried about having cameos, it would have been better. Uh, or or do you think just Ezra Miller is just 
not so, fit to be the Flash. Even before we knew uh, everything about Ezra Miller that we have since learned, which I'm not going to go into, I never once felt, never, and I talked about this in the review, I've never felt that Ezra Miller was right for that role, ever. So, like, a whole fucking movie of him was just fucking annoying at that point to me. So that for me, it's just there's no saving it when I couldn't stand the casting choice. Hmm. Okay. Question. Yeah. Question. Uh, do you think they should have held on to this movie and restructured it to re to introduce the new version of the DCU? I think they should have Batgirl this fucking thing in Canada. <laughs> 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 okay. Just- they should have right, Batgirl this right. thing. We went and watch, watch when Batgirl comes out years later, and it's like not that bad. Like, wouldn't that be fucking something? But okay, I've heard okay. it's pretty bad. I've heard. Okay, so my number my number four is a movie that w- had some controversy surrounding it that I thought was pretty stupid. But that when I saw it, I was like, oh no, oh no! I found the actual controversy in this movie. Uh, I, I should say, I should just say, and this is, I know this is going to get a reaction out of C. I should just say that I actually really like Aquafina, like as an actress. No, I know you do. You just, but <laughs> as a singer, <laughs> uh, as a bird, as a bird. No. And yes, my number four <laughs> is the live action remake of the little mermaid. Uh, listen, uh. I don't. I don't care to get into the controversy that started uh, when up to lead up to the movie getting released. But when the movie got released, it was probably the definition. Like, like it took over the, it took over the, 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 the first place of most soulless live action remake ever uh, that was taken by uh, uh, the Lion King. Now it's the little mermaid. And it's sad that it, it happens to be, again, a remake of a, of a Disney Renaissance film. Yeah. Um, listen, Halle Berry, she's she's fine as Ariel. It's not that. It's just it's everything else. No one seems to be interested in making this movie. <laughs> but what made me hate this movie, what made me think this movie is a crime against humanity was the fucking Scuttlebutt song. That song is a war crime. That song, that song will make people go postal. Mm-hmm. That like the so literally Aquafina in a, the worst grading voice ever. She's not even like a she's not even like a seagull. She's like something worse. Goes the scuttlebutt, the scuttle, and like this was written by Lin Manuel Miranda. And you now can I'm tell. thinking, can can Lin Manuel Miranda tell. write a song? Can he write a song? He can write a really bad rap. Cause like like okay okay that's it. He sucks at writing raps but he's his thing no he can do good music because in the heights has good music in the heights has good music moana has good music but anytime he's trying to write a rap i literally no joke want to eat a gun it's bad it's bad and the scuttlebutt here's the thing about the scuttlebutt i went and saw it with an audience did i say with you see no you did not no No, i saw this with an audience that was receptive to the little mermaid they were enjoying it the moment the scuttlebutt came up, people were groaning and some people just walked out. And some <laughs> kids were like, no, I don't like this. That, 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 this is why this movie is one of, one of the worst I've seen in the year. Because, yes, it's, it has all the trappings of a soulless <clears throat> remake. But the scuttlebutt just was that extra ingredient that just made me really, really want to find Lin-Manuel Miranda and Rob Marshall and just punch them in the stomach. Sorry, Lin-Manuel. Listen, you directed a pretty good movie with Tick, Tick, Boom, but... This, I don't know what this was. 
Here's my question. I think I know the answer to it, but I want it on the record for you. The Disney Renaissance remakes that have come out, net positive or net negative? Overall? At this at this point, net negative. I, I don't think I I think the only one that's like inarguably decent is Aladdin. Oh, I was gonna say Jungle Book for me, but I was gonna say Jungle Book. Jungle Book's not Disney Renaissance. Jungle Book's actually like the first Dark Age. Oh, you're right. No, you're right. It is. Okay, it's literally it's literally post Disney's death. You're right. But But Renaissance, it's 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 Aladdin is like the 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 one that's fine, Mm -hmm. and uh, then then Beauty and the Beast is is there's some good parts. There's some parts that are like. "Eh." Lion King is pretty much everyone agrees. It's just really weird to watch. Like it's really weird to watch, and I'm I'm sorry, Donald Glover is not a good singer compared to beyonce and beyonce is not a good actress but anyway but yeah i would say the little mermaid now is like the worst ones because it's it just again it's purely soulless mm-hmm. fair enough do you right. think go ahead i'm trying to, i'm trying to write word this the right way do you think all the all the all the controversy around casting a black actress for this was wasted on this film. Like, do you think, do you think Disney took their shot at, at changing the dynamics of their characters and wasted it on this one? Here's the thing. Or, I, I, I really, I really think it just boiled down to that. Disney execs thought that it would win them some brownie points with the audience. But the thing is, is like, sure. Try to win brownie points if you want, but try to have a good story at first or try to have a good interpretation of the story at first. Like it just like Halle Berry, she's 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 fine as an actress. I heard she's really really good in the Color Purple musical, um, but it, it really is this thing of like you know they're trying to put the cherry on top of like look how look how like progressive we are, and it's like well don't worry about the cherry, worry about the Sunday. And well, because at that point shit. it just beca- it beca- it just becomes a performative way of being progressive. Like like it just is like in hindsight it just makes ways. it worse in the sense of like. The cherry is nice, but the Sunday shit, like literal human shit. So, you know, the fact that no one listened to the scuttlebutt and was like, Lynn, this is terrible. Rob, don't let Lynn put this in the movie. Like the fact that nobody said that, just like they didn't care. They were like, oh, this will win us brownie points. It's that thing of like they don't care. And they think if they do this one little thing that it'll make them look like they care. But they don't care. Disney does not care, and I, I think that's that's been one of the things about this year is that everyone's realizing Disney just not does not care about the quality of the stories they tell anymore. Anyway, <laughs> on that line, <laughs> Jay, you're up again. Well, we couldn't get to my number three fast enough, mm-hmm. and this movie couldn't end fast enough. And I think the producers getting get away from the controversy around this movie fast enough um but jesus christ the flash was god awful <laughs> um, <laughs> there we go there we're gonna get some repeats folks i feel it coming everything everything c did uh said is correct um ezra miller just isn't a good lead for me on the screen I'm not gonna worry about the stuff off the screen because we all know that and we all we're not going to do that. Um, Michael Keaton, instead of being the cool Bruce Wayne that he was, decided to be weird Michael Keaton, which was a choice. Um, 
bringing back Michael Shannon was interesting, but it wasn't enough to save this. Supergirl was awesome, and I'm genuinely disappointed in in James Gunn and and Warner Brothers for giving her this chance and then taking it away from her. Um, Because she did such a great job. Um, And then then you get into the time force and which is weird and incomplete and weird and weird. Then, then you get into the cameos, which is weird and inappropriate. And it's just a clusterfuck. And here's your real problem. When the CW does a better version of this character than your (laughs) blockbuster movies, you've got a problem. But even more, when the CW has better CGI than your blockbuster movie, you have a problem. I we could go on and on and spend the rest of our lives in the time force talking about how bad this movie is, but I'm just gonna leave it at that. The CW Grant Gustin's version was better. That's plain and simple. They had time to develop this character, they had time to really explain the speed force and how it all happens and and get into all the specific uh, uh, story points that the Flash comics get into. Here, we just kind of rushed into Flashpoint. We just kind of rushed into all the shit. And and we got a big pile of shit. And there was no hope for this one. There was, there was no hope for it. I don't know why James Gunn came out and said this was like one of the best movies he's ever seen. I don't know why the hype was there. It was misplaced. It it just very happy the DC extended universe is dead and that we're gonna re- restart it. Because if anything else, this encapsulates everything that was wrong with that universe. So that's where I'm gonna leave it. What was your favorite cameo? Uh, <laughs> I appreciated the fact that they went all the way back to the first Superman from like the 30s but at the same time like I don't know because some of those actors had tragic deaths mm-hmm. you know some yeah. of those movies didn't you know didn't happen <laughs> at all it was just, yeah. it was just, just like it was just way too much wink wink nudge nudge Hey, hey, you remember this? Um, yeah, and it was just, they were just, they were taking these characters that we love and just fucking around with them. Do you agree with Ben Affleck that this was his best interpretation of his Batman? Yes, I do, actually. I think, I think he had, was finally having fun with it and finally being able to really get into a groove with it, which he wasn't able to in a two director system with justice league and then whatever else is going on in the DCU with him. Um, but at the same time, Ben Affleck's Batman was never that great. So I'm glad he had fun. I'm glad he liked what he was doing. I would have liked to see him grow into something more and given him the opportunity because I like Ben Affleck, but 
you know, not enough to save this movie, obviously. Mm. <clears throat> All right, see so what right. you got to say. I'll be quick with this one. My number three is the Equalizer three. <laughs> um, uh, so every uh, Al, everything you said is correct. Um, I will just add. This was Woody Allen presents the Equalizer. That's <laughs> yes. really what this fucking was. I know I said this in the last in the review of it, but I really mean it. This was Denzel being midnight in Paris, but in this little tiny Italian town, walking around, sipping coffee, uh, and watching weird shit happen, but not really doing anything about it. He's making friends with the locals. And so you mentioned the friend that he doesn't have sex with, but who, like, is giving him fuck-me eyes the whole time. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bit in here that actually offended me. So um, I have some very distant Italian heritage that I take way too seriously. And point being, I have family throughout Philly, New York, New Jersey. So I have had good Italian-American cuisine. And I have also been to Italy, so I have had good Italian cuisine, okay? This bitch goes up to Denzel and says, let me show you real Italian food, okay? Now, what could that be? Oh, I don't know. So she takes Denzel over to this, like, little, like, marketplace, and they're serving kebabs, okay? Now, hold on a fucking minute. I know I'm not actually, like, born in Italy Italian, but I'm pretty fucking sure that kebabs are not Italian. Like, like at fucking all. And Denzel doesn't even eat it. He just kind of looks at it like, ooh, look at that. It's like, okay. And the other thing I needed to point out, and I mentioned this in the review. So they point out how evil and terrible the mafia is and how they take over these small towns and they start fucking around with things. Um but you know what the mob has never done, even when it was like Mussolini bad? They never did public hangings of the elderly <laughs> from their own breathing tubes. That was never a thing. But to like rush to making the bad guys really bad, they just show that where they shove the old guy out of a window and hang him in front of everybody. And then they're like, this will make a nice resort that we can build. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck <clears throat> so this is offensive this is dumb Denzel doesn't save this because he's he's and Denzel is I would take it a step further Denzel is one of the greatest living actors period okay uh, go see Tragedy of Macbeth if you want to witness some of that shit um, but man oh man he could not save this movie and so The Equalizer 3 is the third worst movie of the year Any questions? I have one. Sure. Do you do you feel that like the the film the film could have just really benefited from just being more schlocky in its it, it, like you know what what the first two were? Do you think like that could have saved the film? Like keep all the shit that keep, but just just add the, the shit that people wanted to watch. I think if you added the shit you would have wanted to watch, you would have maybe achieved like a passable taken sequel one of the many um like you would have gotten to that level but you maybe not have gotten any further than that mm -hmm. um like you you there at at a certain point like
a franchise is never really done until the last thing you make is bad, which is sad. Like, no franchise seems to be capable. Very few, I should say. There are exceptions, but very few franchises seem to be capable of ending on a high note. They all need to, like, beat the dead horse. And I'm just relieved they beat the dead horse after three movies. <laughs> so I'll, I'll be happy with it. Okay. Question. Yeah. If they showed a scene where Denzel is eating a cannoli, would you feel better? <laughs> What, Jay? Seriously though, I mean, I mean, I mean, he didn't eat the kebab, but if he was like eating some cannolis, like, oh, these are big cannolis. You know what I know about cannolis? Let me tell you what I know about cannolis. You know, see, see, see. No, you're see. Shut the. Okay, um, okay. If he was eating some cannoli, let me put it this way: if he ate a fucking cannoli or did like an Italian thing. It would it would be it would be a non-issue. It would be like, oh look, they're making him do something Italian to show he's embracing the culture. Ooh, great! And it would have been like, I would have forgotten about it. But I'm gonna remember when someone from Italy says, "Let me show you real Italian food." Here's a kebab. Like, that's gonna burn in my brain forever. I may forget the rest of this movie. I will never forget that part of the movie. Fucking that. Fuck that. Um, so uh, yeah. Okay. I'm up again. Yay. For me, the third, the third worst film <laughs> of 2023 mm-hmm. without a doubt is, and I say this with total sadness and resignation, but Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny. I like James Mangold. I like him as a filmmaker. I like the stuff that some people don't really care for that. He's done. This is by far the worst movie he's ever made. And I've seen night and day. Um, that's actually not a bad Tom Cruise movie, honestly. Um, and guys, this is fucking Indiana Jones. Like, like it's Indiana Jones, uh, and everyone who involved in Indiana Jones, George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, Harrison Ford, they're all like, yeah, the mistakes we made with, uh, with, uh, with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, we're going to fix them. We're, we're, <laughs> we're going to, we're definitely going to fix them. And you're like, oh, great. Awesome. No, the only thing that was, you were worried about was like, Okay, but Harrison Ford's like, what, 10, 15 years older now? Like, yeah. like how is that going to work? And But they're like, no, no, trust us, trust us. And they create a worse movie. And now I was like, well, now I know why Steven Spielberg didn't want to direct this. It's just bad. It's a terrible script. It's a terrible script. And the worst part, the reason why I really don't like this movie, and I think why a lot of fans really did not take to this movie is that and listen I'm not I'm not going to talk about like like uh Phoebe Waller-Bridge or anything like that. She she's bad in this but she's just bad because it's just a bad character. It really is that this film decides, "Hey, let's be really really cruel to Indiana Jones to set him up." And um let let's kind of just kind of want him to die, honestly. And people will like that. That'll be a great way to end the the series, like with a very depressed Indiana Jones who has nothing to live for. And I was just not with it. Um, and on the more technical side is like, this movie is an exercise in how do we do action sequences without Harrison Ford breaking his legs or breaking his spine? I know. Let's just have him ride in a lot of really fast cars. And that's it. And when he's climbing up stuff, he climbs very slowly. Mm -hmm. 
it's bad. It's bad. It's very obvious that James Mangold was not creative enough to figure out how to make Indiana Jones. The thing that makes Indiana Jones iconic, which is its stunts. Uh, one of the things anyway, and he just doesn't know how to do it with an, with a almost 80 year old Harrison Ford. Honestly, the fact that this movie exists because Harrison Ford was like, I will never do Han Solo unless you give me another Indiana Jones. They might as well should have just killed off Han Solo in between the sequels and the original trilogy because this, this is, this ain't it. This ain't it at all. Um, Honestly, I think I talked about it with both you guys that there was a way to do an Indiana Jones sequel by actually, you know, passing the torch. I'm I'm not going to get into it. Let's just say it involves, uh, um, what's his name? The actor who played short round, um, um, he, uh, Hey, who Kwan? there, there was, I gave a pitch to you guys involving him that would have made that I think would have made a better sequel, but that's neither here nor there, but this movie's bad. The character Phoebe Waller-Bridge plays is bad because all she does is just kind of be a dick to Indiana Jones for no good reason. And Harrison Ford is just old and being that cruel to him just left a really – being that cruel to his character just left a really bad taste in my mouth. And James Mangold, like after seeing Ford v. Ferrari and seeing the great filmmaking he can do with that, with uh, Logan, with the Wolverine, and then seeing this, that was just so uncreative. I was I was very disappointed. Questions? Que- yes, question. So – I will I will show my hand now and admit that this is not this is not in my bottom five, and the only reason why it wasn't was the first ten minutes. The first ten minutes is that wasn't enough for you to keep it out. Um, here's the thing: the first ten minutes is what made me keep it in, just because you you see like what they can do, but what they're limited because Harrison Ford is just he's just old, like. Indiana Jones at his core is an adventure story about this archaeologist fighting Nazis to protect religious artifacts. That's that's what the that's what the series is. When you deviate from that, you get Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and you get Dial of Destiny. And honestly, if you want to continue this franchise, I'm sorry. You got to recast. Harrison Ford is almost 80. Take a it page just, from James Bond. Yeah, take a page from James Bond. Um, I'm just happy that Anthony and Gruber finally got his dream to play a Harrison Ford character. For those that don't know, Anthony and Gruber was this, he was like on Vine or something where he was an actor who just looked exactly like Harrison Ford. And um, he was like trying to get, he was trying to get the role of Han Solo when they were making Solo and he didn't get it um, because it, the the producer said he wasn't a good enough actor. Um, but eventually like James Mangold was like, Hey, let me, let me get you to do the, to do the acting on set for this, for, for that sequence. And he did really well. Like his performance still shows because all they did was just do a CGI mask of Harrison Ford and then just had Harrison Ford VO him. But the, the physical slips all him. Mm-hmm. Um, but seeing the potential of just recasting Harrison Ford, you're like, Oh, that's what they should do. And instead you get this. So that those first 10 minutes are why this is in my top five worst or bottom five. Mm-hmm. Not a not a question, but killing off Shia LaBeouf's character in between movies, it does not fix all your problems. It doesn't. It doesn't. And what it does, it just adds more problems. It just mm-hmm. – it's this meta thing of being needlessly cruel to your characters that just leaves a bad taste in, in fans' mouth. Like, I'm not a hardcore Indiana Jones fan, but that just left a really bad taste in my mouth because, you know, it's like, why? Oh, you, you – instead of making him a better character, you decide to kill him – and just make Indiana Jones worse or, or just feel worse for him. 
but yeah, that's that's my third worst of the year. Um, all right, back to you, Jay. Okay. Uh, well, before before I get into this one, uh, I forgot to start doing something that I wanted to do on this episode, which was uh, uh, give you guys the Rotten Tomato scores for these films. Mm. So really fast, I'm just gonna gonna go through what I had. I'm gonna give you the critic score first, and then the audience score. So, and this is gonna come uh, to an interesting point for my number one. But so far, Cocaine Bear is a 66 to a 71. Rebel Moon was a 22 to a 58. The Flash was a 63 to an 84. And my number two is a 54 critic score to an 84 audience score. But here's the thing about this number two. They kind of have a really big problem that they just continue to not address in which one of its main actors that started this franchise died several years ago. And because this actor died several years ago and because the way this franchise has gone, this franchise naturally ended three movies ago. And yet, here we are with Fast X. (laughs) I don't know what happened to Vin Diesel but his his acting has just become stunted and muted and unimaginative the more these movies go on. He does a great job voicing Groot, which is great because he gets to sit in a room and say, I am Groot a million times, and they can be like, do it this way, do it that way. But here, like, like it, it, I actually watched the first one for the first time this year, this past year. The character of Dom that you give the first one is full of life. He's energetic. He's chill. He wants to be bros with everybody. And then here we are, and he's just too stoic. He's almost a statue. Um, and and it's just bland. And there's no character growth. It's just, I got to do this for my family kind of shit. And, and for whatever reason... This franchise can't kill off a bad guy. They just end up recruiting them later on to join the team. So we're kind of getting in an expendable situation here as well. Now, here's one thing that really bothers me about this movie. And see, I alluded to this last night in our conversations. Um, Jason Momoa is the bad guy in this movie. And he's portrayed as kind of unhinged and psychotic and excessively feminine. It's almost as if they are counteracting against the Barbie movie by saying this is what masculinity versus femininity is supposed to be or something. They they have Jason Momoa painting the toenails of two guys he killed like three scenes prior. I just it's to a point where even I find it offensive. I don't really understand what they're trying to say with this. I don't understand what they're trying to do with this character. And it doesn't really go anywhere because we get a cliffhanger for part two of this big, epic, boring-ass movie that we have. Question. Are you ex- yes, Are you excited when they reveal... That when they reveal that Dom is actually Triple X, the um, the the 
uh, the the SP- I would rather watch Triple X than this again. Well, like, because it, I it, I have a theory that they're gonna do Hobbs and Shaw two Double XL, and that's and then the final <laughs> Fast and Furious is gonna be Fast and Furious Triple X, and they're gonna reveal that Dom was actually also the spot the triple the guy from Triple X, like that they're both the same person. Like we're gonna learn that somehow with how uncarefully they handle plot lines throughout this franchise, I wouldn't put it past them. Right? Also... Like, like they just... There's just... There's just... Like... They've been mortal enemies with what is now half the characters in these films. But now they're on good terms. Well, first of all, and, the, the, true, the true... The true villain... The true villain of this franchise is continuity. That's first off. But... Second, I can't wait for them to try to figure out how to make Jason Momoa their friend later on. That because like he right? like, he beheaded people at this <laughs> point, and it's like, but now he's our cool friend. It's like, wait a minute, hold up. Like how how is this gonna fucking work? I have a question. Yeah, and it's simply like it's simply like Jason Momoa had fun with it, but also like it just time. it's weird and it's offensive. Go ahead, Al. Yeah. So what? Because I pointed this out when we did the review. Uh, me and C, but how do you feel like how do you feel about the fact that there always seems to be like like at first it was like understated but now it's like overt that that they do this thing of like giving like dom like a a harem like pretty much (laughs) like he's like yes letty's his girl but he has all these side chicks throughout the series that at that at this point like when they do the sister of his dead baby his dead baby mama i was like Okay, and they make it so overt that 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 they're all in love with him. Like that at this point, I was like, "This is like Vin Diesel writing this," because this this feels like some weird like fetishy like wish fulfillment thing. Did, did you catch yeah, that? Yeah, and it oh definitely because because they started this in five. Yeah, yeah. It's after more after they Tarantino's foot thing. That's what's that's yeah. How after after they killed off Letty and before they brought back Letty. Um, <laughs> But but they they decided that ever since number six to make Letty a bigger action hero, so then they had to have the soft, you know, emotional feminine character do counteract with Dom. Like it's just it's just It's weird. These yeah, these movies are increasingly becoming the poster child for toxic masculinity. <laughs> when the first one wasn't. The first one was really good. The first one had a purpose. It had an actual plot. It had like things that kept it interesting and characters with actual fucking life inside them. Other than this monochrome performance we keep getting from Vin Diesel. Mm. And what's worse is Vin Diesel's out there in public, should come into public events dressed as Dom, acting as Dom. Like he, there is no difference between Ben Diesel and Dom now. They are one and the same, mm-hmm. and it's 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 becoming a problem. <laughs> and I can't think of her, her actual name, the actor who plays Letty. But Michelle she Rodriguez was on the Michelle Rodriguez was on the carpet saying, "How many more Marvel movies do we need? How many Mar- we have way too many Marvel movies? Like, bitch, <laughs> what have you been doing for the past fifteen years?" <laughs> I love Michelle Rodriguez and a lot of stuff, but what the fuck? Like, just, there's no self-awareness here. It's just, 
Let's see how big we can make the explosions and how many cars we can drop out of a fucking plane. Oh, by the way, here's a tank. Not big enough. Here's a sub. Not big enough. Here's a nuke. Like, it's just... They're constantly trying to outdo themselves, and they're constantly forgetting about the plot. Hmm. And it's... I'm... I'm tired of these movies. I... I... It was good all the way up until 7, and then 8, 9, and X are just... Just, they're not doing it for me. Eight, nine, and X. Yeah, they're just not doing it for me. They're not keeping me interested. They're boring the fuck out of me, and I'm just. This is this is the problem with Hollywood right now. This is the biggest problem with Hollywood is movies like these that continue to come out and have huge uh, box office successes. So they make more, and while they keep making more, there's so much money that could have been gone to really good creative projects. That's just not going to get funded. Mm-hmm. You guys talked about it in your Ferrari episode. What if this was better funded? They probably lost money to Fast X. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is a racing movie, but we could just give Fast X some more money. Like, you know, and it's just. Yeah. Yeah. There's so, yeah, there's just so much money putting in putting these movies that could go into other projects that's actually fucking trying. Mm. That's actually putting an effort into what they're doing to tell a good story with good characters and. And just, I just, yeah, this is what I hate about Hollywood. This is what I hate about our society. We need to do better. Not only not only do creators deserve to be able to do better, but we as an audience deserve better as well. Hmm. So it's just, it's just, Fast X is my number two worst movie of the year. Holy fucking shit, guys. Well, see, so you got to follow that up. Oh, I can. Um, my number two worst movie of the year is The Little Mermaid. Fuck that movie. I went to, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay. So, little little secret. Little pulling back the curtain for the audience. Sometimes there are movies that Al and I decide to see for the purpose of the podcast because we're like, you know what? A lot of people are going to see that. We were way off base with what were going to be hits and misses this year for the record because nobody could have predicted it to a certain extent. But so Al basically said, listen, we need to do The Little Mermaid. And I'm like, uh, fine. And I go, I literally like went to a bar, had two beers beforehand <laughs> and a full on meal at like a, at a, at a Irish pub. I like, and I was like, all right, let's fucking do this. And I went in and I wanted to kill myself halfway through because, okay, you, you, you already mentioned the scuttlebutt rap, which made me want to gouge my eyes out and then my ears afterwards, which was awful. But, How do I put this? You realize that when you make Disney movies live action, you could potentially lead into some problems. <clears throat> Most notably, how the fuck does the the island nation that this movie takes place on, on land, how is this not like happy colonialism? I don't see how else this is being portrayed. Because I'm looking at it and it's like, okay... It's a king and queen, and it's like pseudo-royalty, maybe from Europe at some point, and they came over to this island, and there's all these different people, um, and it's a rainbow coalition of everybody, but it's such a fake version that Disney's just trying to play off. Dude, it's just a sequel to Napoleon. 
Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. But you're watching this, and I'm like, okay, apply real-world application to this, and it gets fucked up fast. Because there's no, like, happy version of it all of a sudden. So, I could go on, but I won't. Point is, yes, the, the person they cast to be the Little Mermaid, yes, she can sing. They made sure of that, and she can sing. Great. But what I was shocked by... I was shocked that Melissa McCarthy did not pull off the Ursula performance. Because when you think of who could be cast as Ursula, Melissa McCarthy is one of the top live like actresses around that you can imagine. And when I drove home that night, I was like thinking about their version of Poor Unfortunate Souls, which is a very good song. I then went on YouTube and like listened to the original, and it's astounding how much better the original is. And it just, it summed up immediately the problem with all of these remakes that they do. And not to, not to take Jay's Thunder again, but like just the problem with Hollywood in general. But in a lot of ways, Disney is like a mini Hollywood at this point because they've bought so much stuff. They can just churn out whatever the fuck they want. And so much money went into it and it was unnecessary. And it was such a clear performative schlock. Um, not even schlock, that's too, that implies there was some enjoyment to it. Uh, just, you know what? This wasn't a movie, this wasn't a fucks, this wasn't a sucks, which I gave it at the time. This movie was just a hash brown, alright? It wasn't even, like, anything you could feasibly watch. An undercooked fucking frozen hash brown of a movie. Number two, worst movie of the year. The end. I have a statement and a question. Sure. First off, my statement is uh, Little Mermaid is not in my bottom five or dishonorable mentions solely because I just forgot about it. <laughs> like I forgot this movie happened this year and let and it die. Just let it if die. If I had remembered, if I had remembered, it might have been somewhere in there. Um, but question: Did you go to Elder Tree without me again? No, fucker. No, no, I did not. I went uh, okay. to a different Irish pub that I'm not going to name. Um, I got okay. a question. All right. Yeah, don't worry right. about it. Yeah, what's your question? Here's my question. Uh, yeah. Do you feel like that the underwater scenes really, really were distracting? They weren't good. <laughs> like that's know. what I mean. Like they, they were like oh. really bad. Like like worse than like worse than like I guess some people didn't like Aquaman, but every some people say Aquaman was good, Aquaman was bad, but like worse than that. So. What I would say, they were bad mainly because you so could tell that the actors were not in water the whole time that it just became agonizing. Like, actually, the most offensive was um, was Javier Bardem as uh, King Trident because that costume was so fucking ridiculous and that beard was so fake and... It just looked all the way kinds of wrong. So, yeah, to answer your question, yes. But there's something more to it. There was something more awful about it. Uh, like, one interesting thing is Disney does this. Uh, one thing Disney does with a lot of its remakes like this is it tries to, like, add new elements. Obviously, new songs and stuff like that because they want some Oscars if they can get them. But 
they add like new story elements to this and all they kind of did was attempt to like make smaller characters a little bit bigger but then halfway through they're like nah we don't fucking care like that was that was the other annoying thing about it it's like so they bring in like Ariel's sisters and for a second they're like oh they're more developed and then no we don't care Hmm. so I think that was my my other big issue with it is that like Disney as a whole tries to expand. They try to say, oh, the reason to see these, we're going to expand the story. But you're not really doing that. You're not really expanding it. Like, I know in Beauty and the Beast, they made uh, Gaston's friend. They, they had a single line to imply that he was gay. Well, guess what? The reason why they did a single line like that was so that they could play it in any any country that wasn't so favorable about the, favorable about that they could cut it out easily. So that's how like clear Disney does not give a shit and how much they won't stand behind their own shit. They put in these little things <clears throat> that in other nations that they play that maybe they just want to make the money off of they'll cut out easily and you won't miss a fucking thing. Mm. So it, it's just question for yeah. both of you. Sure. How did you guys feel about Sebastian's Jamaican accent? Because I thought it was a little too fake. Oh, it was terrible. It wasn't. It, it was bad, yeah. but like by far, I I still think the worst was like just the you were you songs. were still just still offended by Aquafina. Like, and I love Aquafina and other stuff, but it was yeah. it was just bad. But like, it, it wasn't good. Like David Diggs didn't do a good Jamaican <laughs> accent, but I wasn't like. Like there were but other was, things to be offended by. But I will say it was like a kind of Jamaican accent where like you hear, you know, some person doing a bad imitation of. That was that was one thing. All right. All right. So, so I'm next. Uh, my second worst movie of the year, and I, you know, I really do not like this movie like at all, like at all. But I I feel really bad that I don't like it because this was someone's passion project. Um, in fact, my last. The, my bottom bottom two are all passion, both passion projects. But I'm talking about uh, Charlie Day's directorial debut, Fool's Paradise. Holy shit, this movie sucks. So in 1979, Hal Ashby directed a film called Being There starring uh, Peter Sellers about this gardener who uh, was very like very introverted, very like never left his house only thing he had connecting him to the outside world was his television so when he left his house and interacted with the world he just basically said lines from that he saw on tv it's an iconic film it's it's a very iconic film and it started that like that plot of like weird weird person like weird introvert kind of goes into society and and kind of changes changes whatever corner of the world they're in you know um this is pretty much that. It's literally taking from that. Even Charlie Day has said as much that he basically wanted to make his own version of being there. But this movie, first of all, it's not funny. It's not clever. And it's just like, it's like, hey, we want to make a satire in Hollywood. And they just forgot that, like, y you kind of have to have a joke, right? Like, the joke here is that, like, Charlie Day's character, who's called Latte Pronto, because someone says Latte Pronto to him and they think that's his name. The joke here is that he has a he has an agent played by Ken Jeong, and the agent is making him rise and fall as a celebrity. It's bad. It's it it's fucking bad. Uh, like it's not clever. It's not. It's Ken Jeong is at his most unfunniest here, and Charlie Day's not good at physical comedy in this. That's the shocking part because he doesn't say a word, and his physical comedy is just really bad. It's so unoriginal. 
Like, you've seen more clever stuff in a YouTube video. And, like, this was his passion project. <laughs> he had Guillermo del Toro, like, help him rewrite some scenes. And it's still this bad. Oh, my God. This is one of the worst things. And he had, like, a bunch of his friends in this. And they're all bad. All of them. All the, the It's Always Sunny guys are bad at this. Uh, Jason Bateman's bad at this. Edie Falco's bad at this. Jason Sudeikis is bad at this. Adrian Brody is actually not that bad, but, you know, he's, he's actually pretty okay. But he's the only one. That's bad if the only shining part of your movie is Adrian fucking Brody. This, this, this movie... This movie is the, like, literally is the longest 90 minutes I've ever experienced. Where I was... Well, actually, well, yes, for, for last year. There's another movie that kind of beat it, but for a different reason. Uh, this... This is not a movie I would recommend people to see. This is not a, like if Charlie Day says I'm going to direct something else, I'll be like, well, I'll, I never want to see it because you do not have the skills to be a comedic director. You do not have the skills to be any type of director, probably not even a television director. It's bad. It's really bad. I don't know what else to say. For the record, he the reason why he uh, considered doing this was because he directed he's directed a few episodes of Always Sunny. And he directed an episode that a lot of people put in like the top five. So I think well, that's why I've he never got seen in that. a full episode of It's Always Sunny. So oh, I should okay. I should say that. But if, if this is like I, I know this isn't It's Always Sunny comedy because I've no, seen like bits and no. pieces. But this was just not funny at all, at all. It's not clever at all. Uh, like like it it has a joke about CGI and like superhero movies that you're just like this is stupid. This is really stupid. Like, and I get that's the point, but like that, that this stuff can be stupid, but at least have a joke about it. Like this, this is like, this is just like the most mediocre version of satire I've ever seen in a long time, in a long, long time. So, uh, if you guys have no other questions, we can move on. I really don't have any questions to you, Jerry. I honestly don't think I even had heard of that movie until just now. It's it's bad. Me and C reviewed it, and I was I was pretty cruel to it. Um, yeah, I was I was more favorable, but I, I it's pretty forgettable. I'll give it that. No, it's not. Just, that. It's it's, no. it's just like the the worst thing. Like I disagree with C that I think a it a bad comedy is worse than a bad horror movie because you can laugh at a bad horror movie. You cannot laugh at a bad comedy unless it's The Room. But yeah, all right. So moving on. <laughs> so, Are we on number one? Number so, one. So okay. So yeah. we have the same number one, Al. Oh, we're about to talk about a very, very controversial movie that has as much shit going on off screen as it does on screen. But you guys Do you tell what about it is. the Flash. Oh well. Do you tell them what it is? The number one worst movie, and we, we Jay and I basically had to look at each other at one point and be like, "Is this first? It was is this in your bottom five? And we're like, "Yes," and then we like slowly got coaxed it out of each other that it was the number one. So <clears throat> both of our number one in the bottom five is the one and only, The Sound of Freedom. Holy what a clusterfuck this is! Yeah. Now, now. First of all, we got to talk about some of the politics. I know you guys are a political show. I know we don't talk about politics here, 
but we got to talk about what happened. Um, this is a film distributed by a religious production company made by the uh, executive produced by the actual guy they made the movie about. And, and it's, it's a very conservative film. I just, that, I just want to add one thing. I haven't seen the movie yeah. myself, but mm-hmm. I, so the, the studio you're talking about is angel studios. They actually bought yeah. this from Fox from 20th century Fox, like 20th century Fox was like, we don't want to release this after they got bought out by uh, Disney. <clears throat> so angel studios bought it. So just, just letting you guys yeah. know that this was actually made by Fox. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, that's fair. Fox <laughs> makes bad decisions. Um, speaking of Fox, Fox news was all over this one. Um, and a lot of conservative uh, uh, social media influencers were all over this one. A lot of what they were saying was they were trying to critique Hollywood for not talking about this movie. Because they were like, it's such a good movie, it's not being talked about, it's such a great message. First of all, there were two strikes in Hollywood this year. So no one was talking about any movies whatsoever let alone a movie that was not marketed at all, a movie that is not very good, and a movie that has enough controversy because its main actor is a QAnon conspiracy nut. So, yeah, there's a, there's there's way too many reasons for this movie to have not been talked about. Additionally, what happened was that, I don't know if it was like people were doing this or spam bots were doing this, but there were theaters being bought out completely that were completely empty. There's video after video after video all over the internet of people saying, I guess we have to uh, check this movie out. And they go to theaters like it's a sold out movie, but no one's here. A lot of people said that people were buying tickets, hoping someone would just pick up a ticket and say, Oh, I really need to see this movie. Like, no, that's not how it works. And a lot of people saying that it was just a lot of spam bots that they just, Constantly, we're putting money in this movie to promote it, to get it out there, and to make a political point against Hollywood. Additionally, another spam bot that happened was what we're going to talk about now, Rotten Tomatoes. This has a 57% critic score, which I believe is a little too high for this. Uh, it There's definitely something going on with that number. But the number that's really interesting is the audience score, which is at a 99%. This has a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. And if you look at all the actual reviews, they're all negative, except for quite a few that are very much AI-generated. So Now, let's get to on-screen. I'm sorry. See, I know I'm, I'll get to you. Let's get to on-screen for a second. Al, the way this movie starts is, our our hero character and his partner, they take down a pedophile who's looking at kids online and they arrest him and they bring him in and then his partner quits because he's like, I can't take it anymore, it's too sad. Blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, our hero character gets a plan and he's like, you know what? I'm going to take the pedophile out of the cell. I am going to convince him in one conversation that I too like to touch little boys and I'm going to get him to help me find a little boy so I can rescue him and then arrest more people. Somehow this works, and we get to a scene where the pedophile, he's released from 
from uh, uh, captivity is at a diner with him, and he hands him a book, opens it up, shows him a picture of a little boy, says, this is a little boy you get to fuck, pretty much. Uh, quick note about all these characters, these evil characters, they portrayed them as way more into the child molestation than into the money they got from child molestation. So, first off, I don't know, it's just, it's weird, it's inappropriate. But, back to the scene in the diner. Once, once it's confirmed that, that this guy is child trafficking a child to bring to our hero character, hero character says, ah, you're under arrest. And, and the cops come, and he puts him in cuffs, to which the pedophile says, I trusted you, to which Jim Caviezel says, never trust a pedophile. Let's talk about that real second, for about dialogue. And about the intention of dialogue. Where the fuck is the trust going on this? He says, I trusted you. But he says, never trust a pedophile. So is he himself a pedophile as well? Well, the movie doesn't really make that clear. Or unclear. They just kind of leave it ambiguous. And as it turns out, see, it was a little bit too accurate unintentionally. Because the real person... That this per that this movie was based on has some issues. First of all, there are four different women claiming sexual uh, inappropriateness harassment uh, while they were undercover with him, to the point where they would go undercover as his wife down to these countries uh, with this organization to help free captive children. Apparently, he thought that. If they're going undercover as his wife, they should act as his wife, including sleeping in the same bed, taking showers together, and sometimes sexual acts, to which he asked them, how far are you willing to go? This happened with at least four different women while he was down there. Additionally, there are multiple accounts of him actually caressing little children. And one of them is on video, and it went to the point where he actually went to the Mexican government to ask them to verify that that kid was over 18. And honestly, that's not even the worst part of that problem, dude. If you have to try and verify someone's age after you molested them, like, it's still a problem. So he, the real person has stepped down from the company, from from whatever organization they they made to, to rescue these kids, and there's a lot of uh, legal pressure and investigations into him now. So now we have this hero character who on the outside is incredibly flawed, but on the inside and with conservative pundits is being raised up as a hero. Now, see, I think you have some other criticisms that we can talk about. Yeah. So regarding the movie more in depth with that. Um, so basically this movie is like bad taken, so to speak, where except for it's not his kids that are being abducted. It is, He's saving these other kids. Uh, but the plot, the premise is that he wants to go and pretend to be this pedophile financier for a pedophile island. Literally, at one point, they're going to create Epstein's Island, it seems. And that's like the sort of their goal here with that. Um, but in the meantime, he's trying to save these kids and it's focusing particularly on this little brother and little sister or this, this brother and sister. He saves the brother early on, but not the sister quite yet. He has to co keep going deeper and deeper into like different places 
to to save this sister. But what's really weird is so in Taken, which is a which is great, we're focusing on Liam Neeson taking the action to save his daughter. And he does come across certain things, certain after effects, not after effects is not the right word, but certain, you know, victims basically that he saves and helps. What this movie does, which definitely was very jarring and uncomfortable, is it decides to spend a shocking amount of time to, the only way I can describe is rage bait the audience, which is you see the younger girl, like, obviously the movie's not going to show a little girl literally being abused, but it focuses way too much on things around that, that was very a very odd directorial choice and just a really uncomfortable sequence. Like there's a bit where she's in this room and these different sleazy Americans come by and they're drunk and they go up to her and then it cuts and she's crying in a bathtub and they just focus way too much time on like the suffering this one particular girl is going through on a frequent basis. And it would be one thing if it was just like a clip and then it cuts and you don't see anything else. But we just see way too much of this. Um, All of which which can be explained with dialogue. With simple dialogue. With simple a nurse or doctor checking them out saying, oh yeah, this happened, this happened, this happened. There's evidence of this happening. Which they please do. Please continue. Which they do for the boy. But then they mm-hmm. also, even though... So that's the thing. They say in the movie, he's Jim Caviezel saves the younger brother first is able to save the younger brother first. And there is a bit where this nurse comes out and says, there is evidence of trauma and sexual assault. And then he's asking the boy what happened to him. And we get this flashback of so much. Now I understand if you need a little bit of flashback to like show how the kids got where they got so that he understands where he needs to go to save the other kids next. That's one thing, but it spends way too much time where he's in this hotel room with this creepazoid. And obviously, again, I emphasize the movie does not literally show anything, but like it's showing the older man kind of like trying to, you know, tempt the boy, licking his lips and giving the boy different things. And I'm like, we don't need this. We do not need this. So the whole thing was just fucking uncomfortable. It's, but outside of that, it's just not well shot either. It's not like you can't, there are weird lighting choices, weird cinematic cinematography choices. Um, a lot of clear sets, a lot of sets where they clearly like had to take things and like kind of awkwardly cover things up. So, Overall, just not a good movie. And I'm not even shitting on Jim Caviezel entirely because, look, <laughs> he was in a thin red line. My dad liked Person of Interest, so, like, I'm sure he can do what he does, but this is just not – this is not the path he should have chosen. He chose – he rolled the dice incorrectly. But and, – And by the way, Al, he ADRs the whole movie. Large chunks, he has, yes. He dubs pretty much the entire movie. Um, except for a few scenes where he's yelling. So, That's it. Um, uh, and 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 just like there's a whole there's a whole character who is not necessarily clear if he was part of the cartel or still in the cartel or whatever. But no matter what, he's got his sunglasses on. He's got a cigar. He's got a glass of whiskey. 
even in the fucking jungle when they go to the jungle, like he's smoking and drinking the whole time, and it's if he can't do anything without it. There's just like every character is just a flat, bland caricature of a character. Um, all the choices, none of the choices make any sense. And meanwhile, our main character, who is a federal agent, is taking uh, suspects and prisoners and victims out of custody to go take them to dinner. He's taking, like, literally, half this movie is just him talking to people at, at lunch or dinner and and hearing their part of the story or whatever. And it's just... This movie is inappropriate and incompetent and incomparable. And please, out, please, if you have any questions. Did you guys know that this was shot by a Mexican crew with a Mexican director, all done in Mexico, that, like, that's why it was all ADR, because the, the, the production standards over there is a little different. I did not know that. I'll fully yep. admit that. No idea. Yep. This was... So, uh, this was actually... The only reason I know this was because I sometimes watch, like, Univision. <laughs> and and they did a whole segment on this the the so so that's probably why like everything was all ADR so I don't know if you guys knew that and like to be fair like the crew from like just a little thing I'm seeing is like it looks like uh, the director has done other stuff he did like a World War Two thing but I think they're all like Spanish language uh, but the DP and everyone else seems like all the stuff they did was like telenovelas mm. so um, I mean that's attracts no no I mean it tracks the so uh yeah i i think like i think a, a big thing is that like not everyone's guillermo del toro so not a, not like, everyone's alfonso Coron or uh in uh, alejandro in early two uh, well no basically what i mean is that like where you can have like a, a a crew that speaks a totally different language and then still be able to make something competent oh of course so um, I think yeah. I think that's probably why this movie is just on a technical level so bad is that they're literally like a telenovela crew. I mean, the director wasn't, um, but like even the, even the guy who does the score, like I'm looking at all his stuff and it's like, oh yeah, oh actually no, the the composer for this one was the composer for Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, he just did tell as as bad as the technical stuff is, it's not even a tenth of the issues that this movie has like like you can excuse the bad technicalities of it when you when you understand everything else that's going on with this movie and you see it and you're just like what the fuck are we doing here hmm. okay all right um i guess i'm next i guess yeah, you're, you're you're number one of the worst i'm sorry but i i despise this movie and every time i think about it i just get angry um and like again, this was a apparently this was a passion project, and I just want to say, don't have any more passion projects, Ari Aster, because mm. Bo's Afraid was the worst thing I saw of twenty twenty three. That was three hours of pure unadulterated agony. So, Bo's Afraid can literally be summed up as this: a mentally ill Jewish man has issues with his mother, and you know what? You can tell that story in ninety minutes. Hell. I think Woody Allen has made that movie multiple times and he's been able to tell it in around a hundred and 120 minutes, hour 45, you know, well, 
Ari Aster decided to make a movie about a Jewish man's anxiety over visiting his mom for three hours, where Joaquin Phoenix is giving one of the most grating performances of his career. Like, like I, I've heard people say, like, oh, his performance in Joker really annoyed me. His performance in Napoleon was so weird. Watch him in Bo is Afraid, and you're just like, I really, really just want to hit you with a baseball bat. Um, like, this, Bo is Afraid is the definition of a director who was like, hey, I'm top shit. I can make anything. And then he makes Heaven's Gate. <laughs> Except now it's called Bo is Afraid. It, it, <laughs> There is like, you, 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 as the movie keeps going along, it literally goes from like, oh, do you want to see how bad cities are to this poor guy, how they suck? And you're like, okay, that's an interesting, this is an interesting perspective. And 40 minutes of that, 40 fucking minutes of that, uh, that involves like a crazy guy screaming at a wall. And then for, after 45 minutes, like the plot starts and you're like, what? Wait, what the fuck? The plot is just starting? What the fuck are we doing? This this film is indicative of a filmmaker. Listen, I, I respect Ari Aster. I, I've, 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 Hereditary scared me. Midsummer was very, like, was, was something to watch. But, like, just to him to be like, okay, I'm just going to do crazy shit and shit that makes no sense and shit that's just, like, going to shit that's just going to make you feel uncomfortable. Why? Because, you know, fuck me. Fuck you. They gave me money. That's why. And, oh, by the way, like e editing to have a coherent story. Fuck that shit. You guys got to watch everything because longer movies are better movies. Didn't you hear? Oh, and by the way, there's going to be a section that's like 20 minutes long. That's has this really interesting animation that really has no bearing on the plot. It just looks pretty. And you're like, this is good shit, but what does it have to do with the story? Fuck you. Just watch it. I don't think I have just to stretch my legs because I'm so bored and overwhelmed. Like, it's this weird mixture of being overwhelmed over, like, when will this end? And just bored of, like, you've you've done this thing a hundred different ways already. A scene of, like, oh, oh, I miss my mom. Oh, oh, I miss my mom. Oh, uh, I, I'm worried about my mom. Oh, my mom traumatized me. They literally just do that. Every scene is literally just some variation of that. Oh, I have sexual hangups because of my mother. Like, okay, dude, we fucking get it. We fucking get it. We get it. You're so smart. You, you're so smart. You're so vulnerable showing us your, your, your issues with your mother. Oh, oh. And you know, gotta lean into that Jewish stereotype. Oh, oh, gotta lean in into all this weird stuff that you think is what made people like your previous two movies, even though it wasn't the fact that you did really tight scares and had really good character work in them. Oh, oh, oh. Joaquin Phoenix has got to be even more Joaquin Phoenix because that's what people like about him. And in the end, at the end of all that, it ends with just a, a weird, like, fuck you ending. And I, I literally just said, fuck you to the screen. I I was like, you know what? Like I, anytime I see a movie where the filmmakers like, aren't you so privileged over witnessing my greatness? I'm just like, go fuck yourself, dude. Go fuck yourself. You, you this is your third movie. Like go fuck yourself. You're not, you're not like, don't give yourself a claim that is unwarranted, you know? And, you know, maybe he was being sincere and trying to share, like, something very intimate about himself. This really feels like a guy was told, hey, we're going to give you a lot of money. And he was told, well, I'm going to go full heaven's gate on this shit. I, 
this is just this is everything I hate about art movies. And what's worse is that there was an interesting story here. Because, you know, yes, it's been told a million times by Woody Allen, but you can always find an interesting way to tell a story. It's just that Ari Aster was like, I'm just going to throw everything into the wall, make it really annoying or really weird and really, like, visually overwhelming, and you're going to have to deal with it because I'm a fucking genius. I hate it when a filmmaker in it, just at my face is like, don't, don't you appreciate how much of a fucking genius I am? I, I, I just fucking hate it. I... It just pisses me off, and and this movie was such a horrible experience for me. I believe it or not, I make moral judgments on anyone who tells me that they think this film is brilliant. I'm like, oh, you're full of shit. You're full of shit. I I, I just hated this movie. Questions? <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. Uh, so, do you think you have a better understanding of why I did not like Uncut Gems? I do, but. I, I do. I really do. Because I saw Uncut Gems and I loved it. But I, I, I think I even told C. Like, after I saw it, I was like, this is brilliant. Jay's going to hate it. Jay's going to hate it. <laughs> yeah, I think. Oh, yeah. You, did you guys. It. I was texting you with you. Like, you guys were like, no, you need to stay there and finish the movie. Like, oh, God. But you know so, what? But yeah. Like, but I, after this, I think I hear you complain about this. I hear a lot of myself complain about Uncut Gems. But, but the, the thing is, and, and listen, it's not that I don't like long movies. Like, God, you guys know that, like, I loved watching Endgame and watching, like, Infinity War and watching, like... Uh, you can make uh, a great long movie. You can great long... Like, sometimes I really like long movies. It's just that this movie makes one point. That's it. And it repeats it over and over and over again. And three hours of that, that's just unbearable. That's just really unbearable. Like... Like, at least with Uncut Gems, that was a pretty quick movie, and it had more than one point to make. Um, but even then, like, with this, it's like everything – there's literally one sequence that isn't about, like, oh, I'm so traumatized by how my mom raised me. And it's literally so useless to the film. Like, it sticks out like a sore thumb because you're like, why is this here? Why? Like, I remember, I just kind of look, because I think, see, you and I saw this together. I just go like, mm -hmm. why is this in here? And why is this, like, almost 20 minutes long? Mm. It's, I, 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 I hate this movie. I really do. And I, I, anyone who tells me, oh, give it another watch, I'm just going to throw a pie at their face. <laughs> That's how much I hate this movie. And that's the thing, I, I still really like uh, Hereditary. I'm kind of hungry. Would you mind giving this another watch? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Z, do you have a question? No, because I saw it with you, and I'm inclined to agree. I didn't put it in my bottom five because I thought, I thought there were some fun <laughs> acting moments, and I thought there were some interesting visuals. So, it was enough to keep me away from that. The, this the thing was was that I kept thinking to myself like, there like the filmmaking is competent, but it's the philosophy behind that filmmaking that I just vehemently hate. Also, I thought Nathan Lane in this was when it was really good, but that's just me too. See, that's the thing. He's good for like five minutes, and then even he gets grading. It's all a sh they all have a shtick. It all gets really annoying. It all really, really gets so annoying. I, I just, uh, I, yeah, I know, I know. It's, it's kind of a cheat to be like, oh, you chose a polarizing film as your number one. Yeah, I did. Go fuck yourself. We chose a pretty polarizing movie too. So. Just a different kind of polarizing. Um, alrighty, well, 
that was our bottom five, folks. Yeah. Um, can't believe it. Yeah. So, so, so I, I really don't know how to end this episode um, outside of like, hey, this is part one. <laughs> yeah. Get ready for part two, which, which we're is just going to do immediately. Do immediately. We're not going to stop. So Yeah. So here it is. Part two, folks. So yeah, wait, really, we're not gonna do a pee break or anything. We're just gonna yeah, just yeah. That, that's kind of what I was expecting. Some of us, some of us are in our thirties. Yeah, see, oh, Jesus Christ. Come on. <laughs>